I read a book or something else, you know, some other article, anything that I look at, I try to look for the highlightable points. What is the main point of whatever I'm looking at? And that way, that helps me to retain it. If I don't do that, it slips away from my mind, which happens way too easily. Maybe it does for some of you too. I try to do the same thing with the Bible, with the Word of God. There's a lot of information in the Bible, isn't there? If you have a a paper Bible in your hands, you can look and you can see how thick the Bible is. There's a lot in God's love letter and God's guide and, and all the things that the Bible is for us. And there's a lot to remember and what to believe and how to live and historical events. And that's why when I read through the Bible, I love it when God points out a summary verse. This is key. This is a summary of a whole portion or maybe even all of scripture. Because when I read through it, I go, ah, there's three verses, there's a verse, there's two verses that if I remember that, that is a big portion of what God's word is really about for my life. One one, uh, such scripture that we mention, or I mention often when I'm here behind the pulpit is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Hopefully you have that logged away in your heart. And if not, in summary, it says when Jesus was asked, what's the most important command? And Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. I'm paraphrasing. And then he said the second greatest, the second part is to love your neighbor as yourself. If you do this, you have fulfilled all the law and the prophets. Key verse. If you do these two things, you have fulfilled scripture. So that's an amazing summary verse. That's kind of the what of Christianity. It doesn't tell us how to love the Lord. It doesn't tell us how to love our neighbor. But it says, do this and you will fulfill scripture. That's not the verse we're looking at today. We're going to look at another one, another summary of scripture that is more the how. And that, those verses we're going to look at for our main thought today are found in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And we'll spend most of our time here this morning. Micah 6, and we'll start reading in verse 6 and all the way through verse 8. It says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? What or shall I give my firstborn for transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Key verse, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what is required of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, this was written to a, a... a culture that had sacrificed animals for a long time, all the way back since the law of Moses. It had been their their tradition, their law even, that they were to sacrifice before the Lord for various things and at various times. It was part of their culture. And so God's telling them this verse in the midst of that environment. He says, 
This is what it's really about. This is really what I desire. He has shown you what is good. He has shown you what is required. And again, this is the the how of Christianity. And as we go through these three points this morning, we're going to see they are intertwined. They're connected. They cannot be removed one from the other, or you get into a very serious imbalance. If you love justice, but you don't love, or you show justice, but you don't love kindness and walk humbly, you get into error. If you love to show mercy and kindness, but you fail in the area of justice and doing what's right, you will get into error. All of these need one another in order to work together. And we'll see, we'll balance them out as we go this morning. This is not going to be an in-depth sermon on each of these, because we could preach a sermon about doing what is right and just. And we could preach a whole sermon about being showing loving mercy and showing kindness. And we could preach a whole sermon on walking in humility, right? Each of these is a sermon in and of themselves. But our point is to summarize and to balance and to apply it to our lives. So we hopefully leave the service today, you know, understanding what God desires and requires of us as we walk the Christian life. Before we get to those three points, I want to just go through those things we read in verses six and seven. They're all costly things. They all cost something. Burnt offerings, a young calves, thousands of rams, ten thousands of rivers of oil, and even your, your family, your own offspring. And actually, as you go through and you look at it, they get progressively more costly. In the Old Testament, a burnt offering you know, would have been a sheep or a cattle, a bird, something like that, depended on what it was for and on people's financial capability as well. But it cost them something. The next thing it says, though, is young calves. That's your future, It's still young now, but that's going to grow into a full-sized animal to provide for you and your family. So when you give that to the Lord, you're giving future potential to him. You're saying, here you are, God. This is yours. And then the verse takes a jump. It takes a leap at this point from a young calf. And then it says, thousands of rams. Well, would you rather have one young calf or thousands of rams? Which one do you think is worth a little bit more? The thousands of rams. I'd even go so far as to say as there were very few people who even had this capability to give this. It's an exorbitant, extravagant gift. The next one, I'm going to say probably nobody even could do this. Ten thousands of rivers of oil. Probably referring to olive oil would be pretty common in that area of the world. Who had 10,000s of rivers of oil? Who had 10,000s of bottles of oil, even? But it doesn't even say that. It wants to make something that is so exorbitant to make a comparison. Like, this isn't something you can even, even do for the Lord. And it's saying, would that be enough? If you even could, would that be enough? And then it says, your, your, your children, in verse uh, 7, The firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Your children are your whole future, right? Your whole family's future is based on your kids because they hopefully will outlast you and you raise them in God's ways and they raise their kids in God's ways and so on and so on and so, so forth. A lot of potential is in children. 
So all these things represent some tremendous sacrifices, and then we don't really sacrifice these. Do you have a, a, a calf in your backyard? Maybe some of you hope to one day. But uh, we don't really have these things around to offer to the Lord. But what are some of the things that we have that we give to God? We give him our money, right? We say, Lord, here is this portion of, of what you've given to me, and I'm going to give it for your work. I always love hearing a story of somebody who started out at a very basic level in their walk with the Lord, and then they, they felt the Lord lay on their heart to start giving, and so they they would give the Lord some of, of what they had, and then they, they felt from the Lord they should increase it, and they would go to, to 20% or 30% of their income, and then the Lord would say, no, I want you to do more than that, and there's stories of people who have given 90% of everything that the Lord has given to them and given it back. I love stories like that. Those are pretty costly. That's a costly way to live, to give that much, but that's a, a money. Money is one of those things. Some people give a lot of time to the Lord. That is something else that we give. Sometimes we give up stuff, maybe a hobby, something we really enjoy. And we give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I feel like you don't want me to do this anymore. I'm giving it to you. So we can better serve him. And even children, for those of us who are parents, it's not a physical sacrifice. But I think back to my own childhood. I grew up in a family of engineers, for those who know my family. And I look back and I wonder what my mom and dad thought as I was growing up. And I became, I was about 16 years old and I talked to them and said, Mom, Dad, I feel like God wants me to go to Bible school. And here I am in this family, you know, engineering's not super lucrative, but it's steady and it's good. And, and so I wonder what my parents thought when I talked to them about that. And they said, go ahead. We feel that's what the Lord has for you. And they let me go away from the tradition of my family and to become a minister, to go to Bible school, to not a lucrative career, you know, another area. But my parents, in a way, they sacrificed what I could have been had I gone to secular university and, and gone those directions. And that was totally fine. That's what God called my two brothers to. Definitely what he called them to. But he called me to the ministry. And I'm sure it was a bit of a sacrifice for mom and dad. So parents go through that with their kids too. So remember, each of these things is a tremendous sacrifice. But in and of themselves, they're not enough. They're not enough. And that's the whole point of the verse, this key verse in the Bible. It's not enough to give of our time or our money or our our talents, or our children, if we're missing these other key components. It's just not, not enough. And so let's see what is enough. What has God told us is good and required of us in our life? Along with these other things, it doesn't mean we stop giving or stop sacrificing to the Lord in these areas. That's not what the verse says. It didn't say stop. Let's keep doing that, but make sure you have these other, really these character traits in place in your life. So that what you're doing for the Lord matters and counts. As Eric was talking about rewards in Sunday school this morning. It's right along the same lines. So the first thing that we find in Micah 6 verse 8 is to do justice. To do justice. Really it's to do what is right. 
and to follow God's divine law, to do wrong to no one and right to everybody, no matter what, as much as lies within us. Does God always want us to do what is right and just? Yes, he does. He is a righteous God. He is a just God. And he wants us to live in this way. And as I'm going through these for myself, I would say this is the one that I lean strongly toward. Maybe it's the way that I was brought up. For me, it's, this one is easier than the other ones. Maybe for you it would be different. But I was raised in a family that this is right, this is wrong, this is the word of God. Walk in this way. And so when I hear teaching on the righteousness of God and the justice of God and, and just living this way, to me, that's just a normal part of life. But I may struggle with some of the other ones a little bit more. But keeping God's standard is very important. And God says, this is required and this is good. He has shown you what is required of you and what is good. And doing what is right and just in the eyes of God is required and good. Now, as I said, when we go through these, we're not going into detail of what it means to live righteously. We could preach sermons on just that topic or what it means to be a just person. We could preach whole sermons. I think as we say, doing what is right, I think everybody sitting here has a general concept of what it means to live right before God. And he's given all of us his word and his ways are recorded in his word for us. But we're giving a summary and we're talking about how it ties to the other ones. So as we look how it ties, we have to never disconnect sacrificing from doing what is right. So let me ask you a question. Can people give to God without doing what is right? I hear some amens and some nodding heads. Certainly, it is quite possible to give much to the Lord while living in, in error and sin, while doing what is wrong. We have a great example in the Old Testament, a sad example, but a very important one for us of King Saul. And we know this famous verse when Samuel came to Saul and he told him in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. What he was telling Saul is you should have done what is right. He wasn't saying sacrifice is wrong, but he said, you didn't do what is right, and yet you sacrificed. You missed it, Saul. You missed it. We have Saul in the New Testament, who later became Paul, who spent his whole time doing what he thought was the will of God and offered many sacrifices and grew up in that tradition and, and ticked every checkbox according to the, the laws of his fathers and the ways that he felt he should walk, was he doing what was right in the eyes of God? He missed it. He sacrificed his whole life, but he was in error and not walking in the ways of God. There are many modern day examples of people who give a lot. We often refer to them as philanthropists. Some people can give away millions and billions of dollars because they have been blessed and yet it's more important that they're doing what is right in the eyes of God than that they're giving away much. Some people can give a lot of their time 
to, to help in various ways of service to the community, serve on different boards and give in different ways, maybe go around and even rake people's yards and take care of the elderly and bless people with food. And they do all these things. Are those good things? Well, certainly they are. But what if they're not doing what is right in the eyes of God? God says to obey is better than sacrifice. So we cannot disconnect and choose to sacrifice to God while not uh, living this way, not living this choosing to do what is just and right in the eyes of God. And that's why this is a key verse. God says all these sacrifices, no matter how great they are, you have to, it's required of you to do what is just and right in the eyes of God. So do I give to God without doing what is right? That's a personal question for each of us. Am I, doing, am I living in a way that I know is not right in the eyes of God? If I'm not, does that mean I should stop giving of my time or my money or my talents or whatever it is? Of course not. But you have to go to God and repent and choose to do what is right that you know is his way. So we can't disconnect that side, not, not disconnecting sacrifice from doing what is right. We cannot disconnect doing what is right from kindness and humility. That's the next two points in the verse we're going to look at. Because the issue is when this one is disconnected from the other two, it's very easy to be self-righteous and judgmental. If you are a person who's very good at doing what is right and just in the eyes of God, but you're very poor at showing mercy and kindness to others, and you're very poor at walking humbly before God, you become self-righteous. It is yourself being glorified, and it is not God being glorified. That's a tough point to take. Because we can, the example I often think of is the Pharisee and the publican. Did he check all the boxes for doing what was right? He sure did. But Jesus said he was not the justified one. It was the publican. It was the sinner because the sinner did what was wrong, but was in a process of turning away from those and had a heart that was humble before God and said, please forgive me. Where the other guy did everything right and missed it. So we can never disconnect these. We can never focus solely on doing what is right and err away from loving kindness and mercy and from walking humbly with God. We can become very outspoken about God's ways and God's standards, and that is very good. Remember, God said he has showed you what is good and required. But we can't let ourselves stray away from the others, or we end up in error. So we must do justly. Now the next one. We must love mercy. And mercy, in your Bibles, may be translated kindness or loving kindness. That is what the original literally means, is loving kindness. But this one puts a feeling along with it. We do what is right. Sometimes we do that without feeling. It says, do justly. Do what is right. Whether you feel like it or not, do it. This one says, love kindness. So this comes out from within us, from a very, I won't say just an emotion, but it's something that we pursue. It's something that we want to be like, that we love to show mercy and we love to show kindness. We probably love receiving mercy 
How many of you have been shown mercy before? An extreme amount of kindness, probably when you didn't deserve it. If you're a believer in this room and Jesus is your savior, your hand should be up. <laughs> because we've all received that love and kindness, that mercy from God when we did not deserve it. But even in many other ways, we've probably had somebody in our life who has shown us forgiveness and kindness and what love really means when we maybe didn't deserve it. And yet they showed that to us. So we love to receive that, but do we love to show it? Do we love to be kind to others when they did something painful to us, when they hurt us, when they opposed us, when they said something to one of our friends about us that hurt? Then you could think of lots of examples. When they went to our boss and told a lie about us and it cost us at our work. You could think of lots of ways that people wrong you. I'm sure everybody sitting here could think of some way that somebody has done something wrong to you. Do you love to show mercy? Do you love to show kindness? That is what God our Father did to all of us. Says while we were sinners, and while we were his enemies, he loved us. And he showed us that mercy. And God is the ultimate example of this. God is the ultimate example of doing justly, of doing perfectly what is right, but of loving mercy at the same time. The Bible, you know, God through his, one of his apostles, through Peter, he said he's not willing that anybody should perish. Second Peter 3, 9. That is the love of God. That is the heart of God for humanity. He doesn't want anybody to end up in hell. He wants everybody to turn to him and accept him as their savior. That is his heart, but he's just. And he loves what is right. But he loves to show mercy and compassion and kindness. God could have destroyed you and me for our wrong. And he would have been justified in it. And yet he chose not to because he loves mercy and he loves kindness. And he wants us to follow that example. Now, in the Brogan home, we have a phrase that we often use. Maybe I've said it here from the pulpit before. We say the law of kindness. We want the law of kindness to rule in this family. Does it always? It's a work in progress in the Brogan home. Maybe it's a work in progress in your home too, or in your life too. But that is our goal to become like God that we love to show kindness to others, even when it's not shown to us. That's tough. If somebody's being unkind to you, how do you respond to them? That's hard. But God gave us the perfect example. Even when we don't think somebody deserves our kindness. Hmm. We also sometimes show mercy to our kids when they don't deserve it. Now, here's where we can get into error as parents. We can show mercy to our kids all the time, be so kind to them and show them so much love and, uh, and those affections and all that that we never correct them. Would that be loving our kids? No, it would not at all. So mercy has to be balanced with justice. It's got to be or we go into error. But there have been times with our kids, I'd say it's probably one out of 40 to 50 
when we're in our correction facility, we're in our spot that they know if we tell them to go to, they know they're going to have a talk with mom and dad. And uh, we're in there and, you know, Sarah and I, we try to, to pause for a moment, cool down, say a quick prayer to the Lord, and then talk to the, the children. And uh, we've had times, again, not that often, but in there where we say, we're going to show you mercy. We're not going to correct you on this because, and we always lead into this from that. It's not because we don't feel like it right now. It's because your heavenly father sacrificed his son Jesus for me and for you when we didn't deserve it. And that is the mercy of God. And so we're showing you right now an example of that. Now, if we did that all the time, our children would learn to do whatever they wanted to do. We have to be just with them. We have to show them the right, what is right and what is wrong and correct them when they're wrong. But they also need these lessons in our lives of what mercy looks like and what kindness looks like. If they grow up in our home and they never have that example, it will be hard for them to relate to their heavenly father as a kind and a good and a caring and a merciful God. They will view him as the just God the one who corrects and the one who punishes and the one who fixes. But they'll miss that heart of God as the merciful heavenly father, the kind God that he is. He's both. Parents, we have to do both. With people in our life, many of you sitting here, maybe you're not parents at this point, but you have people in your life that you have to choose whether to show kindness and mercy to or whether to show justice to. Yeah, and you should stop and ask yourself if that's the justice of God that you're showing or your own retribution, your own getting back at somebody. That's probably never right. I also want to say on this, it's not from the position of, it can be on the position of a judge. So I've given examples of parents to kids. That is an authority to an under authority, Right? And maybe you are in a position of authority in your life and you've got somebody under your authority. Those ones are, you know, fairly easy to see that showing mercy. But this verse does not specifically say when you're in authority, show kindness to those who are under you. It says he's shown you, oh man, he's shown you everybody what is good and required to love mercy. So this is not just when you're in a spot of authority. This is even when you are under authority and you're treated in a way that is, that is not right. This is when you've got a friend who does something to you, a coworker who does something to you, anybody in your life. You've got the choice to show loving kindness and mercy. So let's talk about disconnects. Can we disconnect this one from the others that are around it? What happens if we disconnect showing mercy from sacrifice? If we sacrifice really well and we give really well, but we are an unmerciful, unkind, uncaring person, we become hardened in our pride. Is that good? Are you with me? Is that good? No, not at all. I never see once in the Bible where it says that hardened pride is a good thing. It's bad. It ruins people when their heart becomes hard and they become proud. In the Old Testament, the Bible would refer to that often as stiff-necked. You're so stubborn, you're stuck in your ways, proud, and yet you think 
that just like the Israelites in the Old Testament thought they were so good. I have an example here, one from hundreds of years ago, one that makes me a bit sad every time that I hear about it. There was a man who did much teaching, much writing, hundreds of years ago. In fact, much of the church still follows a lot of his teaching. You may disagree or agree. We would probably disagree with some of the things and and agree with maybe some others. Some of his key points we've disagreed with, uh, certainly. But this man's name is John Calvin. If you've studied the Bible or church history, you've heard of him. He's had a great effect for a long time on believers around the world. However, he had people arrested and murdered when they disagreed with him doctrinally. Fact. Is that good? Do you have people who disagree with you doctrinally? (laughs) Show your hand if you've talked to somebody who disagrees with you about something in the Bible. Show your hand if you think it's okay to have them murdered because of it. Okay, so to us, that seems so far out. At that time, it was going on, and and he partook of it and became a figurehead for it, I guess you could say. So when you disconnect sacrifice from mercy, he sacrificed for God much. He gave his life for God, for teaching the word and for the Bible, but he missed the mercy. He missed that part with anybody who didn't agree with him. And he ended up in error because of it. So here's a question that brings it a little more closer to home for us, because I don't think any of us would ever go out and do that. We see the possibility lies in the human heart, but hopefully none of us are ever there. Do you evaluate your life based on the good choices you make compared to the poor choices you see everybody else making? You say, I'm, I'm good. I'm making these right choices. I'm doing these right things. But oh, this person over here, they're making such wrong choices. See, comparison is the enemy of mercy. When we compare ourselves with others, instead of seeing ourselves in the light of God and his ways, it makes us anti-merciful. And it makes us lifted up again in that heart and pride. We see ourselves as so good because of the things we do and other people as so bad because of the things that they do. And yet all of us, as before God, stand as forgiven sinners. And we do our best to live in God's ways and to walk in his ways. And yet, if we focus solely on the good that we do, we become so hard against other people. And it can ruin us. Comparison is the enemy of compassion. What happens if we show mercy and kindness without doing what is right? Can we get into error? If we show mercy and we're such a kind person to other people, and yet we don't do what is just and right, we can get into error. Here's a verse in the Bible that God gave to Solomon in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 6. It says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. How is iniquity purged? By mercy and truth. Both are necessary. Both have to be balanced. See, if we showed mercy all the time in that sense of compassion and kindness and love, and yet we never spoke the truth in love, 
we never focused on God's ways, we would end up into error. We would be viewed as a really nice guy, a really nice lady. But how would God view us? We'd be wrong. We have to do what is right and what is just. For me as a parent, it would be like, like letting my kids go do whatever they wanted to do, even though I knew that it would harm them. We were years ago, we were at the Grand Canyon and we had a, a certain child who was three years old at that point and they wanted nothing more than to be free and to run at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Me as a parent standing back looking at them, I knew that if I let them go, they would get into, well, they wouldn't be here anymore. Let's put it that way. And so what did I do as a parent? Did I say, oh, let them do whatever they want to do. I'm going to show kindness to them and just let them go free. I obviously didn't do that because he's still sitting here. So that's where we need the two together. Sometimes showing mercy is to step in and speak the truth in love. And that is merciful and that is kind. Sometimes... When you're in that position, I'll, I'll say this as a parent, you are in that position, it required some restraining for a child who didn't want to be restrained. We had to hold him the whole time, and he didn't like it, but it was his very life that we were preserving. Hmm. It's got to be balanced. We, we have to show mercy and kindness, but also stay true to what is right in the word of God. So the question for us on this point is, do I treat others with mercy and kindness even when I feel like they don't deserve it? Ponder that point. Do I? Even when I feel like I don't deserve, they don't deserve it. Remember, showing mercy and kindness to others is good and required. This is good and required. God says you must, and it is good in my eyes when you do. The third one of this key verse is to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. Now, it gives us this action, right? To do justice is something you just do. To love mercy means it, it comes out of who you are. You don't just show mercy, but you love to be the person who's able to show mercy and kindness to others. This one gives us the action of walking. To walk humbly with your God. Walking is an ongoing action. It is continual in our Christian life. So whenever we walk with God, how often should you be walking with God? Okay, I got one. Always. You should always be walking with God. So when it says walk humbly with your God, that means throughout your entire life. There should not be a moment when you're not living this way. Walk humbly with your God. So whenever we walk with God, we must be doing it humbly. There's a verse that always comes to mind when I think of walking humbly. And you've probably heard me share it before. It's Romans 12, verse 3. Romans 12, 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you should. That's the antithesis of walking humbly. When we think of ourselves very highly, we can't be humble. They can't go together. The verse carries on and says, I believe, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Think with sober judgment. 
There's another verse that says, basically put others before yourself in the same thought as this verse. Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. So the key to not thinking about ourselves more highly than we should is to think of what God has given us. Because the faith comes from God. The measure of faith that he has assigned. We say, God, you have made me the way I am. God, you have given me so much. Everything I have comes from your hands. And that will lead us to humility, where thinking the other way will lead us into pride. But it's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy to do. Do I always think that my opinion is the right opinion? That's so easy to do, isn't it? Well, I had the thought, of course it must be right. I think this is the way we should do it. Of course that must be the right way. I had a wise person share with me once. They said, you know, somebody had said, well, if I was a leader, I'd do it this way. And, and actually, she didn't share it with me. She shared it with somebody that I heard her talking to. She said, of course you would. We all think we would all do things differently if we were in the spot of leader. Everybody has their own opinion. Everybody would do things slightly different. But there are many different ways to do things, and that doesn't make you right and that person wrong just because you thought it. Being a leader is a tough place to be. But do I always think my opinion is right? Do I always think I have more knowledge and experience than someone else, so I must be right? Do I see the wrongs in others far more easily than I see the wrongs in myself? And I could go on. These are tough questions for me to ask myself. They're probably tough questions for you to ask yourself. If not, you've arrived at humility. But don't let your head get puffed up about it. <laughs> to walk humbly is to remember that we are nothing without God. We wouldn't even exist but God. He's our creator. He's the one who made our minds to work. He's the one who made our bodies to work, who gave us the ability to think things through, to build things, to fix things, to have thoughts and opinions, to input into various situations. All of that ability came from him. It didn't come from us. It's not even within us. It's because he made us this way. So we've got to give him the recognition and that will help us to lower ourselves a bit in realizing he's also the one who gave the person sitting to your right and your left and in front of you and behind you that same ability. It came from him. And he's the one that needs to be exalted, not us. He's the one who his opinion is always right 100% of the time. Not us. God alone deserves that glory. Not us. Now this verse also says, walk humbly with the God. No, it says walk humbly with your God. It has to be personal. God has to be your God. For any of this to work. See, you can have justice, you can show kindness without relationship with God. 
People do that. But you cannot walk humbly with God without a relationship with God. It doesn't work. It's not even humanly possible to do that. As we said, even some of the greatest, most known people on earth do the first points fairly well in human eyes. They live good lives. They give away much. They care for people. And yet they're missing this with your God part. I think it's fair to say that's the most important part of the whole verse is with your God. It's got to be, God has to be key, important, primary, take that place of preeminence in our lives. So we're going to briefly cover disconnects as we come to a close on this. When we sacrifice without walking humbly with God, we become, again, self-righteous. We give, but we're not humble. We become lifted up. This next one's a little bit different. Walking humbly with God without doing what is right and showing kindness is impossible. You can't disconnect this one from the other two because if you do, you just can't do it. You can't be humble, walk, humbly walking with your God and not walking in his ways. It's impossible. So I won't even go over the disconnect because you just can't do it. But as I was thinking through this verse and somebody who lived this perfect life, the, only, the example that I could think of who, who did this the best in their life is our example as being the best for everything else, and that's Jesus. He's a perfect example to us of this. Did Jesus sacrifice? He gave everything. Absolutely everything that he had. Did he do what was right? Perfectly. Every time. Did he show mercy and kindness to others? Yeah. When they didn't deserve it. Totally. The only ones he didn't really show it to were the people who totally thought they did deserve it being the Pharisees? Did he walk humbly with his father? Not my will, yours be done. Father, I don't want to do this. Take it from me if you can, but not my will. I want to do your will. He was totally humble. He totally wanted to do the will of his father. So he did all of these perfectly. He's our perfect example of this. And he's the way that we want to live, amen? We want to follow his example to be like him. And if he did it, we can through his strength. We don't go through these things saying, try harder in these. We go through these things saying, turn more to the Lord. Walk with him. He's the one who changes us. He's the one who makes us more like him. But we have to let him. If we still choose to to avoid any one of these areas and to struggle in it and to not let our eyes and our ears and our heart be open to God, he will let us carry on. But if we turn to him and we say, Lord, I recognize in me that something is out of balance. Again, maybe I love to do what's right, but I have a hard time with showing mercy and kindness. Maybe I love to show mercy, Lord, but I know that I'm not walking in your ways. I know that I'm not living according to your word. And so when we go to him with that request and we ask him for his help and his strength, it's he who does the work in our life. 
We can try harder and harder and harder, but we will fail without walking with God through the process. So remember, review as we close in prayer. This is not just a nice list. God told us it is good and it is required of every one of our lives to do this. That we do what is just and right, but we love to show mercy and kindness and we walk humbly with our God. And if we do these, we'll fulfill a major part of the how of the Christian life. God told us to love himself with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God told us to love others. How do we do it? We do what is just and right. We love to show mercy and kindness. And we walk humbly with our God. That's how we do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that all of your ways are right and all you do is good. We thank you for your word that you have given to us, Lord, the insights that you've given to us of how um, to live before you in a way that is pleasing. And Father, each one of us turn to you right now, Lord. We recognize that we are human. We recognize that we, because of that, have failings. We fall short of the glory of God. And we thank you for your mercy that you have shown to us, your kindness that you have shown to us, and your forgiveness that you always offer to us. Lord, as we walk the Christian life, Lord, we turn to you and we ask you for your help to be more like you are. Would you help us to always do what is right, Lord, to never turn away from your standard of justice and your standard of righteousness? But as we do that, Lord, help us to be ones like you that also who love to show your love, who show your mercy, who show your kindness to others, even when they don't deserve it. For you have shown us much kindness and mercy when we did not deserve it. And Lord, I pray as we walk our Christian life, would you help us to always do it humbly? Help us to never be lifted up in pride, but help us to see you, that everything comes from your hand, that you have, you, have, you have given us our abilities. You have given us everything that we have and help us to glorify you because of it. So Lord, I pray in any area where we struggle, would we turn to you and ask for your help and walk in the way which you have called us to. I pray this in your name. Amen.